So in the book Gridiron Genius by Michael Lombardi, there's a great story about Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, who's the Patriots offensive coordinator and probably one of the most highly respected NFL assistant coaches out there. And McDaniels had just started out uh, with the Patriots as like an intern. And he was tasked by Belichick with these very menial tasks. One of those was to do write-ups on scout film. Now, Belichick is incredibly intentional in particular on what should be done in these write-ups. In fact, he has a whole template on what it should look like. Well, McDaniels, who's a very hard worker, uh, trying to prove himself, does this report and does the best job he can and turns it in. And Belichick gets it, reads the report, and then takes a red pen and starts making corrections all over the report. Every little error or simple mistake uh, down to the color of the font for various pieces of the report, um, he was pointing out. I mean, he really wants certain things color-coded in certain ways for various reasons. And, and McDaniels gets this report back, and it's got writing all over it, like probably one of my English papers back in high school. Uh, but McDaniels, you know, he knows what he needs to do better next time. And as the story goes, you know, he writes out the next report, and he gets less marks ups this time. And... Uh, once again, he still gets feedback from Belichick, though, makes the correction. And throughout the season, he continues to get reports back, but as time goes on, he gets a lot less with markups until he doesn't get any anymore. And now Belichick is looking at hundreds of reports during the week. This is just one of the many reports. Uh, and he could have easily brushed it off or just gotten ticked off and told McDaniels to do a better job. But what's powerful is that he saw himself as a teacher, a teacher to his coaches. Uh, and now McDaniels is this very loyal offensive coordinator who could be a head coach nearly anywhere else around the league. So what's this tell us? We have to start to see ourselves as teachers and mentors to our coaching staff. I think that's a really important thing that a lot of us as coaches don't do. And it may take more time, but it's about getting things right and showing them that you care enough about the important things. At the same time though, None of us are in a situation where we can work some intern uh, on our staff to the into the ground and make them jump through a million hoops. Uh, we have a limited number of people, resources, uh, authority, or even power over our staff. So how do we get our staff aligned? Uh, this is a huge challenge. And what we're going to talk about in today's episode you're listening to the Coaching Culture Podcast. My name's JP Nurbin. I'm joined by my co-host, Nate Sanderson. We're both real leaders and coaches who are obsessed with how to develop a culture of high standards and strong relationships. And I've been helping other leaders and coaches for nearly five years now. And this podcast is us sharing some of what we are learning along the way. Now, before we get into today's episode, though, I want to tell you about one of the most unique experiences I've been a part of. So Nate and I actually met in person for the first time around four years ago at a coaching conference in Colorado. He had been a, a guest on my podcast and we had kind of started this virtual friendship uh, and just touching base from time to time. Uh, but then when I decided I wanted to head to the conference, I asked Nate if he wanted to join me and, and share an Airbnb to save a bit of money. And he agreed and, and the rest is history. I remember that weekend sharing not only my vision for what Thrive on Challenge uh, could be with Nate, but also sharing my vision for a small retreat for transformational leaders. 
uh, like ourselves, 12 to 15 people. It wouldn't take a lot of planning by people that were attending. They just needed to show up and we were going to take care of the rest and it would be affordable. But most importantly, it would be kind of an intimate experience where we are gathering together, learning uh, together through shared book study and presentations and conversations and meals and, and going hiking together. And so the next year, we actually made it happen. In 2019, we hosted our first transformational leadership retreat with 13 coaches at Park City, Utah. And I have a hard time describing it other than just saying it was incredible. And uh, this August, we are running our second retreat as, as COVID canceled last year's. Um, and we have so many coaches coming back this year and many new coaches from our mentorship pro program attending this year as well. However, we always have a few spaces for new people. And if this kind of experience is appealing to you, let us know today. You can click on a link in the details of this episode or head on over to thriveonchallenge.com forward slash retreats to reserve a spot. If you can't make this session this year um, or you listen to this podcast or this episode after the fact, still let us know. Drop us an email. Uh, we plan to be running two or three in 2022 as they are just an incredible experience and coaches get so much value out of them. Enough about that. Nate, let's get into our conversation around staff alignment. JP, I was having a conversation with a coach the other day about hiring for his staff. And one of the questions that he asked me was, hey, what does the ideal assistant coach look like for you? A lot of times when we lay out the criteria for who we'd like to add to our staff, we think about their level of experience or maybe their expertise on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. But as I thought more and more about it, I told him, you know, there's really three characteristics I think that the ideal assistant coach has. One is that they have a growth mindset, that they are interested in learning and growing and developing. Two, that they have a, a commitment to a transformational approach, that we're going to use our sport to transform lives. And three, I, I like a coach that is committed in season and out of season to whatever it is that we need them to do. And after I finished my description of the ideal assistant coach, my buddy just looked at me and he said, you know, I wouldn't mind firing my whole staff and starting over if I could find people like that. Now, JP, you and I both know that the method for aligning our staff is not typically going to be firing and hiring. And so that presents some unique challenges when we're trying to build our culture and bring our staff on board. Well, and that's because that ideal assistant coach. I mean, he, he doesn't or she doesn't really exist. I mean, we're probably not even that person at our best days as coaches. And I think my first challenge to coaches is to reframe this problem. I think a lot of us go, okay, you're right, man, how do I align them so that I can develop this culture where we're changing you know, our players and it's transformational, all that stuff. But I think we have to start to see our role as a head coach, as the leader of our program, that our role includes helping others, not just our players, and helping our staff to develop and for them to grow. But this is still difficult for many reasons. I know many of the coaches that I support, they feel they actually have very little power or authority over their staff members. I mean, it's hard to ask a lot out of them when it comes to their development. They don't get paid much at, at all, if at all. Um, they may have inherited these coaches from previous staff, or when it comes to the politics of our team, our club, or our school, 
We may have little to no authority or power over them, but we shouldn't worry so much about that because what we do have is influence. And there are many ways, many positive ways in which we can exercise our influence to help them grow and to align our staff. And JP, I think at the end of the day, the greatest frustration for head coaches comes when their expectations are not met. But it can be difficult to articulate what those expectations are. And so as we go through our conversation today, we're going to really focus on kind of three different continuums when it comes to our coaching practices. And I touched on these in my kind of ideal assistant coach. Number one, there's a continuum between a growth mindset, someone that is interested in learning and growing and developing and finding new and better ways to do things, and a closed mindset. And to me, that might be the most important characteristic I look for in someone on my staff is somebody that wants to develop and grow. The second spectrum and continuum we'll talk about here is the difference between a transactional and transformational coach. And as you know, and we've talked about frequently on the podcast, we're trying to use sport to grow people. But not everybody walks in the door, or not every coach we inherit, has that same mission in their coaching. And the third continuum we'll talk about here today is just that almost the time commitment. There are coaches that are contracted to do six weeks of middle school basketball, or they're there to be the freshman coach, and that's it. And they're kind of the part-time employee. And there are others who are all in. They're at every summer workout. They want to meet with the coach all the time. They want to know what you're thinking. And coaches will fall in a wide range in between those two ends of the spectrum. So ultimately, what we want to provide coaches with today is not necessarily a magic bullet. It isn't one conversation. It isn't one activity that's going to magically transform your staff so that everybody is at the far end of that continuum where you want them. But JP, where is a place to start when it comes to trying to take your staff where they're at and begin them down this growth process? And when you kind of outline those three continuums, the scariest one for me to have an assistant on would be the really highly committed coach that's also really transactional. <laughs> I think that's a really, really dangerous place to be. Uh, but still, even if you saw that, if they had a growth mindset, a really strong growth mindset, I think you could help to move the needle. And I think you're, you're spot on. When it comes to growth versus fixed mindset, that's probably the number one you know, factor we should be looking at and trying to nurture. And just last week on the podcast, we had Mano uh, Watsa from PGC Basketball talking about how he developed a growth culture at PGC. And one of the best ways to do that is to model it ourselves. And he used those two questions, which I love, which he asks his staff regularly every day at camps, you know, what did I do well and what can I do better? Ask that consistently enough. And most people are going to turn around and start asking you those questions as well because they're going to want feedback. Little steps like that, as well as just continuously being invested in your own development as a coach, looking for feedback from not just your your staff, but from your players. I just think that type of example can start to move the needle on other people. I think, JP, to go along with that, just sharing what you are learning. You know, the fact that you might have a conversation with a coach in the offseason that you're reading J.P. Nurbin's book, Calling Up, you know, is a is an indication 
that you're trying to grow, right? And they may not read the book, but they may be interested in what you're learning from the book, or you may be able to apply it to an area that everybody agreed we have to improve in the off season. So just the fact that you're you're sharing some of those things, and I think coaches maybe often do that when they go to a clinic together, but then how much do we then talk about how they were challenged or how they grow or how they were maybe caused to think a different way? I think those conversations can also start to introduce the idea of we want to keep getting better. We want to keep growing. So my next recommendation for coach is I think kind of bleeds into that second continuum that you're talking about, that transactional versus transformational continuum. You know, I look back at my own coaching journey and I started to make these changes and I started to really focus on being a transformational coach. I mean, I had had a growth mindset. I mean, every off season I was coming with my to my staff and saying, hey, we're going to do this differently. We're going to work on this. You know, but it was when I started to make a change in my own coaching, I didn't make some big proclamation like, hey, we're all going to be a transformational and, and I didn't start, you know, preaching that type of gospel. I just started to make changes and I started to make investments in my players. For instance, one small one, we started to read a book, you know, chop wood, carry water and talk about character, you know, after every practice. And that matched up with some changes in my own coaching behaviors. Well, my assistant saw that and one assistant in particular. And at first he's like, what the heck's he doing now? Like, here's a new idea, you know, another, another crazy JP idea. But, and he kind of made some jokes. I remember at the time about it and, and kind of made fun of me a little bit and was a little resistant. But the funny thing is a few weeks later, he was using that same book with his daughter's middle school basketball team. You know, and he didn't really say, he kind of, oh yeah, we just started a book. Like he kind of just got on board. But what happened was I went first on that journey. I didn't come in trying to preach about transformational coaching. And this is what we're going to be about. I just showed them, you know, through my own example, the the impact that it could have. And then they were inspired by that. Well, in a lot of ways, what you're describing there, JP, is it requires a bit of vulnerability on the head coach's part. First of all, to be able to acknowledge the areas that we're trying to grow in and maybe the ways that we once thought about building culture, building relationships, whatever, you know, receiving feedback and how now we're starting to think differently. And, you know, I remember when I was a social studies teacher, we used to have to do read alouds with our kids where we would read a certain segment of a book and then we had to talk with them about how did we think about that, you know, analyzing it and predicting what's going to happen, sort of modeling the thought process for our students? And I think in a lot of ways, that can be a very valuable experience with your staff as well as you're exposed to new ideas or different ways of doing things or something that challenges uh, a practice that you've had for a number of years. Just acknowledging that with your staff and saying, I'm starting to think differently and here's why. I think is very, as you said, invitational. It invites them into the process with you rather than, as you said, walking in and saying, hey, I read this book and now we're going to do this. Uh, it becomes a more collaborative effort, but one that really has to start with the coach being willing to be a bit humble and vulnerable with their staff. Yeah, and I think the next challenge that I'm seeing is that coaches are on this journey and some people don't want to join them. And I got a few coaches that I've been walking with this year in the mentorship program, quite a few actually, and they've got people following, but then there's some key players on their staff that are not joining it and they're a little bit resistant. And 
regardless of where people are, I think it's really valuable to invite them to join you. You know, especially if you've kind of taken a few steps yourself, and then it's just to, to turn back and say, hey, you know, I'm going on this journey. You're, you're welcome to come with me. And that, you know, that could, what does that mean? That means sometimes you're reading together, you're having conversations that are different than the usual coaching conversations you had before where you just sat around and complained about your players for, for an hour and had a couple beers after the game. You know, they're really much more meaningful conversations where you're being more reflective and, and, and you're giving each other feedback. But in the instance of these coaches, and, and I would say to other coaches, if you feel like there's resistance from certain staff members, there may need to be an invitation that has a, a little bit of a hint of an ultimatum, which is, listen, we're going on this journey as a program. We're going on this journey as a team. I'm going on this journey as a coach. I am trying to make, become better for my players. We're investing in people. We want you to come be a part of this because you, we know if you did, you could have a great impact on, on our players, on our team, and our culture. But at the end of the day, if that's not for you, that's okay. But this is what we're about here. And I just think that it's an invitation with a little in transparency, with a little bit of an ultimatum like, hey, if that's, if that's not for you, that's fine. But you probably need to go find someplace else to coach. Well, interestingly enough, JP, Mono talked about that in our conversation with him over the last couple of weeks about how as culture gets stronger, it becomes more and more polarizing. As more and more of your staff are committed to these principles, those that are not are going to feel more and more left out and may self-select themselves you know, into a different role or into a different job, perhaps. And I think you know, that also brings up the, the third continuum here that we talked about in the opener, which is you're going to have coaches on your staff that have different levels of time commitment that they're willing to give to the program. And I think for a long time in my career, you know, I've looked at coaches that had other things going on in the summertime besides basketball open gym as being less committed or less invested or less bought in, you know, and the reality was they just had more of a life outside of basketball than I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's probably something healthy about that to be quite honest with you. And probably the turning point for me, JP, is when we started asking in our exit interviews with our coaches, what can what time can you give us in the offseason? And then building out from there, it helped me to ground my expectations. And it helped me to be able to say, okay, if they are only going to be here for two weeks, how can we get the most out of them for the two weeks that they're here in the summer? And in a lot of ways, this echoes the conversation we've had before about athletes on that performance versus recreational scale, where we encourage coaches to say, look, you may have athletes that are out for your sport because they want to be with their friends, not because they want to be college basketball players. And if we're able to accept that and then work from there to try to bring them along and to get as much out of them as we can, I think there's a, a healthy approach to your staff, but it really starts with grounding your expectations as a head coach and facilitating those conversations about one, what you expect, is that realistic and what are they able to give? And I think at a certain stage, depending on the program that you coach at, they may not be able to give enough to meet the minimum standard. You may need more commitment from a second tier or second level or first level assistant coach that's on that stipend or on that paycheck, you know? Just like if you're a certain program, you may require a certain, uh, a certain level of off-season commitment from your players because you're competing nationally, you know, or whatever. You're one of the top programs in your state. So there needs to be, in many programs, a minimum standard of commitment. 
but there also needs to be a minimum standard in your mind in that transactional versus transformational. You know, and I, I would encourage many, most coaches to be really clear on the things when it comes to transactional behaviors of shaming players, yelling at them, you know, humiliating them, talking poorly about them under your breath so they can still hear you, just these manipulative stuff. Like you need to be really clear about that stuff from a ethical standpoint to protect your players. Um, also just from a culture standpoint too, because it will just completely kill your culture. So you need to know your non-negotiables when it comes to that transformational versus transactional um, you know, continuum. And I, I say the same thing with a kind of a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. You know, like if someone is just really stubborn and is not willing to change the way that they coach in, in, in a lot of different areas that you need them to change to be able to move your program forward, then you need to be clear about those things. You know, and I think there's, not everybody's gonna be the biggest sponge and gonna be this massive learner and just wanna read all these books with you and that should be okay, but there needs to be a little bit of a minimum standard of this kind of commitment to that growth mindset. JP, that reminds me of a story a few years ago when we got a new director of the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union and we had an advisory meeting with the basketball coaches to give suggestions about changes to rules or procedures or schedules and that sort of thing. And an issue came up and I don't even remember exactly what it was. And one of the coaches suggested a change. I think it was to the the way the games were scheduled at the state tournament. And the new director said, well, why, why do we do it the current way? And one of the old guards said, because that's the way we've always done it. And she said, I don't ever want to hear that in a meeting again. And it was just such a powerful moment. I mean, the coaches were sort of taken aback. But right there, it was, we're going to find the best way, no matter how it's been done in the past. And it just sent such a powerful message. And so if you hear your coaches, you know, saying things like that, like, well, this is the way we've always done it. Or, you know, JP, this is how I've always taught post-play. And they're not willing to have a conversation about whether or not that can be done better. That's a red flag. If you have a, an assistant coach that says, this is just who I am, you know, I, I get intense. I get really excited. I'm really competitive. And they're not willing to examine that and find some awareness about whether or not that's the best thing for this program. Those those red flags probably should preempt some conversations about whether or not it's a great fit or whether or not they're willing to grow in some of those areas. So if you're listening to us today and you're going, my gosh, I got a big problem on my staff here and you know, I'm doing some of these things and I'm we're just not aligned, I would... Offer this encouragement. Have hope. <laughs> I think it's really about trying to create sometimes a moment of insight, a moment of insight and self awareness, an aha moment for your coaching staff. I mean, for all of us, we've had a few of them, you know, in, in our coaching journey, which is, you know, why I'm here where, where I am today and you are where you are, Nate, and, and probably for many of you people that are listening. And it's how can we create those moments of insight? So that we're all kind of working from the same compass, because they may have a totally be headed in a totally different direction um, than than you are. So how we align, I think we have to sometimes fight for those moments of insight. But and and so sometimes that could be something like you know you having a workshop. You know I, I've been fortunate to go in and do workshops for a lot of different coaching staffs, and it's been incredible because I would have relationships with the head coach for months and sometimes over a year. And you might be experiencing some resistance, but we're able to 
step back, reflect, and, and help those coaches to start to see things in a different way, you know, to maybe adopt a little bit more of a growth mindset, to start to see the value in transformational coaching. So workshops like that are really, really, can be really, really powerful. They won't reach everyone. They sure, mine sure haven't, but they have been powerful to reach some people. You could do things like a book study, or even if you have the money and resources and the, you know, the time, you might even take, do a bit of a coach's retreat. But there's trying to do different things like that to create these moments of insight, I think really can be helpful as you set out on a new season. Well, JP, I think that's a great suggestion. If you can create sort of that Damascus moment, you know, the moment of realization uh, or of self-awareness or of openness to a, a new approach can be really powerful. I think the last two things I would leave with coaches here, one of the ways to move the needle, as we keep saying here on the growth mindset continuum, is as you experiment with things and you try things a little bit differently, maybe you're trying to connect with players, maybe you're trying one-on-ones for the first time, maybe you're trying a game-based approach, is that if players respond, if players say that they enjoy the games more than the drills, if they say, gosh, it's great to be able to just talk to you and you know, when I don't understand something and know I've got a one-on-one coming up, like the more the players and you can capture kind of their positive feedback from that, the more leverage you can gain in trying to bring your staff along because they see the effect that it can have on your team. I think of this year at Northland as we started doing more game-based stuff in practice with our third assistant uh, or the third member of our staff, you know, he would kind of sneak over the players on the sideline and say, what do you think of this? You know, are you having fun with this? Are you enjoying this? And the players, you know, to a person by the end of the year was saying, yeah, it's more fun to compete. You know, we feel like we're getting more out of it. And that did more than anything else that I shared to bring him along and kind of open up his eyes to practicing and training in a bit of a different way. The last thing I would say just as a caution to coaches as well is that even though we started this whole podcast episode with a description of the ideal assistant, That's not the place to put your expectations and drive a stake in the ground. Because as JP said at the very beginning, very few of us on our best days are fully committed to a growth mindset, are transformational in everything that we say and do, and are totally committed to whatever time is necessary to be effective. Rather, I think it it starts with having conversations with your staff about where you see them or where they see themselves on those continuums. And in a year, in the next off season, where do we want to be different? How do we want to grow and how do we want to be better in those areas? And I think as long as there is growth and there is improvement, you got to maybe measure that from where we were, not from where we want to be in order to start to build that momentum. There's two things that you're saying that are really important as we're getting down here. One is, you know, this is not an event. This is a process like this is going to take time but you're talking about the importance of just where do we want to be? You know, you're setting that, you know, that, that North star, like that direction and we're moving towards it together. I think that's so important. And there's another thing that I just got from, from what you shared there. One of the most powerful things I think you can do when you're weekly staff meetings, which I think if you really want to be growing, you need to be coming back to these things every week. And whether it's virtually or for 15 or 30 minutes, but just taking 15, 30 minutes to reflect as a staff, at least each week would be so important. But to start those staff meetings by sharing your successes, you know, what went well in the last week, those type of things you just talked about. I had a conversation with Haley or I had a conversation with Nate. 
and they and this is what happened. If you can share those successes, I think it can inspire you and motivate you all to continue to move forward on that journey. Now, if you'd like some help creating that moment of insight, that aha moment for your staff, I'd highly recommend you reach out to me by email or set up a call so that we can talk about delivering a workshop for your staff. I know many of us are zoomed out and I get burnt out with it as well, but at the same time, I've been in part of some incredible coaching workshops recently um, that were virtual, with some of them being larger groups like 20 to 30 coaches, um, Softball British Columbia, uh, Basketball Ireland, uh, as well as some other college and high school athletic departments. Um, and then some of them have been smaller groups uh, of coaches, four to 10 coaches, uh, football, hockey, basketball staffs. Um, these all just in the last few months. And, and honestly, they've just been incredible and they've also been way more affordable than what we were doing a couple of years ago where coaches would have to fly me in and, and put me up for a couple of days. So just shoot me an email if you want some help getting things moving when it comes to aligning your coaching staff. These workshops could be that moment of insight for a lot of people on your staff.